Our text this morning is Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let us pray. Father, I ask you that you would take these truths, unpack them for us, help us to understand them, apply them to our hearts by your Spirit, and enable us to receive them by faith. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A key principle of Bible interpretation is that you should look for repetition of ideas and words in the text that you're studying. And if you see a repetition, it kind of leads you down a road towards an understanding of what that passage is about. And so if you were paying attention as we read this text, there may have been a word or two that stood out to you that was repeated several times by Paul. It was used twice in verse 10 and twice in verse 13, and the word is curse or cursed. You might be tempted to say, well, maybe that's not a Bible interpretation passage or method I want to use, so let's go on to the next one. But it's there nonetheless. Again, twice in verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, and cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. In verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Sorry, that's three times, isn't it, in verse 13? You've got to do your math right. So it's all the more important. So you shouldn't be scratching your head about what this section of Scripture is about. It's about being cursed. But there's another word that shows up. It only shows up once there in verse 14, but it shows up in verse 9 as well. And it's the opposite of curse. Look at verse 9. It says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. And in verse 8 it says, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And look down at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So you have this terminology of cursed, and its antonym is blessed. And so this text is not just about cursing, it's also about blessing. And so we take this section of Scripture to be primarily about cursing and blessing, or about those who are cursed and those who are blessed. And so it should churn in your mind a couple of questions if you're following this through. You might ask yourself, what does it mean to be cursed? And what does it mean to be blessed? 
And then you might have an existential question that would arise in your own heart. Am I cursed or am I blessed? You should ask that question. And then you should have a motivational question that pops up. Do I want to be cursed or do I want to be blessed? You should be able to answer that one fairly easily. But as you follow this text in this reasoning of truths in this passage, the fact that you want to be blessed, it does not necessarily follow that you are blessed. And so you're left with the question, not just what is cursing and what is blessing. Am I cursed or am I blessed? Do I want to be cursed or do I want to be blessed? But you're left with the question, how is one cursed and how is one blessed? And you need to answer that question. And the others will unfold for you. And so let's take it one at a time. How are you cursed? How to be cursed. You may not want to take extensive notes on this, but you should pay attention nonetheless. Paul tells us how to be cursed in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The irony of it is Paul says that those who are of works are cursed, or those who rely on works are cursed. And then Scripture says those who don't keep the law are cursed. And it seems like there might be a mismatch here if you pay attention to the wording of Paul's sentences. Those who rely on the law are cursed. And then Deuteronomy, verse 27, 26, which Paul quotes, says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things in the law. There's a missing piece in the argument here that's so obvious that Paul doesn't even need to write it. The full logic is this. Those who rely on the law, God's law as given in Scripture, those who rely on the law as the source of their righteousness need to keep the whole law. They need to keep all of it. If you don't keep the whole law, you're cursed. And then here's the part that is so obvious, Paul doesn't even write it here. Nobody keeps the whole law. And so the conclusion, anyone who relies on the law is cursed. Deuteronomy 27, 26 is crystal clear. Look at the nature of the language that is used there. Cursed be everyone. There's no exceptions. It's an all-encompassing term. Everyone. It's referring to Everyone with no exceptions. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. Abide or continue in. Continue to do. Again, all the time without exception. 
There are no slip-ups. You don't get a day off. It is every day of the week, every month of the year, every year of your life. Continue in all things, every jot and tittle. If it was a command of God, it was to be kept. You can't say one part of the law was insignificant or unimportant. If it's from God and he tells you to do it, you have to do it. You have to do every last part of it. You can't say that's not relevant to me. You can't say that's not important to me. You can't say I don't understand that part. All of it. All things. And do them. There are a lot of people that will read God's word and look at it and say, there's a lot of wisdom there. They might regard them highly, might think that God's word is pure. They might even tell others to do them. They might call others out when they fail to do them. But this text is clear that you have to continue in them and do them. Not just think about them, not just promote them, not just say they're good, not just look for failures in other people, but do them. So you have God's law, and you have the expectation that God has upon those who would rely on the law, which is that everyone has to abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And if you don't, you're cursed. Over the summer, was at a wedding where a game was played. You've probably seen a game like this. It was at the reception. And you don't have to do this, but I'll just illustrate the game to you. The, the MC asked, everybody who's married, stand up. And so all the married people stood up. And they were going to find out who had been married the longest. And so the MC said something like, if you've been married for longer than five years, remain standing. So everybody married less than five years sat down, and then he went on. Everybody uh, who's been married longer than 10 years remained standing, and so more people sit down. More than 15 years, more than 20, more than 25, and it goes on 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. I think they got up to 55, and they got up to 60, and then everybody was sitting down. And it pointed out who had been married the longest. Well, here's our game, and I'm not going to make you stand up. (laughs) Who's kept the law the best game? (laughs) Stand up if you've paid every cent of your taxes. Remain standing if you've kept the speed limit always. (laughs) Remain standing if you've never stole anything. Never committed adultery. Never broke the Sabbath. Never took the name of the Lord in vain. Never coveted another man's wife or property. Never lied or gave false accusations. Never murdered anyone. And always loved their neighbor as themselves. Always loved God more than anything else never worshipped anything but God, and always turned the other cheek, and always repaid evil with good, and always looked on all things with purity, and never desired what wasn't theirs in their heart, was never angry with their brother or sister, 
Always honored father and mother. Nobody's standing after the first one. Everybody's down. And the ramifications of that is cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things. And we think it's so universal. We think it's so natural. We think everybody else has done it that there's no big deal. But not in God's eyes. In God's eyes, cursed be everyone who does not keep all things. Written in the book of the law. What does it mean to be cursed? The verse that Paul quotes comes from a section of Deuteronomy that focuses on obedience and disobedience to the law. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy 27, and we'll see that Paul is not cherry-picking verses here. He is deriving his conclusions from the context of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 27 finds the people of Israel on the verge of going into the promised land. And as they're on the verge of going in, Moses is reminding them of God's expectations upon them as they live in the land. And he's going to inform them about what their life needs to be like. In Deuteronomy 27 verse 1, Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Look at verse 10. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Verse 26, and this is the one that Paul quotes, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Look at 28.1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Verses 13 through 15. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Or verse 58 of Deuteronomy 28. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. Again and again, the emphasis from God's word is you need to keep all of it. Do all things. When Israel had entered the promised land, they were to split up the tribes, the 12 tribes, six and six. One, pair of, or one set of six was to go on one mountain, Mount Gerizim, and the other six on Mount Ebal, and they were to face each other. And the Levites would call out to the tribes the blessings and the curses of obedience and disobedience to God's law. And it tells us in Deuteronomy 27, some of the curses are what people are cursed for. Look back at 27, 15 through 19. This would be called out to the whole people of Israel. I won't read all of it, but you'll get a sampling. 
Deuteronomy 27:15. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. To wrap it up in verse 26, again, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. We say amen to praise God. They're saying amen to being cursed for disobeying God's law. They're to take this seriously. If the people would not obey, the curses that were to come upon them are horrific. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. I could read for the next 10 minutes, but I'll spare you. But we will read a chunk of this. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Then the the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed." The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be the food, shall be food for all birds of the air and for beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually. And there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruits. And on and on it goes. The curses that will come on the lawbreakers. How are you cursed? Paul says, by relying on works of the law. And you're cursed when you rely on the works of the law because you do not keep all of them. 
And so you will face the fiery wrath of a holy God who punishes justly. These are just a sample of earthly curses. Jesus speaks about a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die and all the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire. That's the eternal curse. And how are you cursed? Ironically, by trying to be good Because you put your sufficiency in yourself and you ignore the plain fact that you're not good. You're not good enough. You are a sinner. So how are you cursed? Basically, rely on yourself. Be who you are. And you will be cursed. If you're following this and you're humble of heart, your only response to this is, I don't need to know how to be cursed. I got that down. I've got a PhD in being cursed. I could write journal articles on it. I could teach others. I could write every book on it. I could write, direct, and star in that film about how to be cursed. What I need is the second question. How am I blessed? Well, how to be cursed, rely on works of the law. How to be blessed, have faith in Jesus Christ. Back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Again, the universality of the language should strike us. All who rely, everyone. There is no one who's justified before God by the law. No one. This is clear based on the preceding argument, but Paul also draws our attention to Scripture. Scriptural authority declares how one is counted as righteous in the presence of God. And how you are counted righteous in the presence of God is not based on law-keeping, but based on faith in His promises. And so Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, Again, it's evident no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from the minor prophet Habakkuk. Turn with me back there so you can see it. If you have trouble finding that little book, there's no shame in looking in your table of contents. We need to be students of God's word, and we all are different spaces, places with that. And so if you need help, look to the beginning of your Bible and find what page the book of Habakkuk is on. Habakkuk is a small book, one of the minor prophets, and it has a bit of a dialogue between this prophet Habakkuk and 
the Lord God. Habakkuk sees wickedness among his people and wonders how long God will let this go on. And God's answer is that he is going to send a wicked nation, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, to come and bring basically a curse upon the people of Israel because they have disregarded his law. And so God is fulfilling what he said in Deuteronomy 28, that people who do not keep the law in totality are going to be cursed. And one of the curses for the people of Israel, the main curse would be that they would be exiled from their land and driven out. And God says that he is going to bring that about in Habakkuk chapter 1, through the wicked Chaldeans. And as Habakkuk responds to this, at the end of chapter 1, he basically wonders how this can be, that God would bring a wicked nation to come expel another wicked nation. How are they to live in the midst of this kind of chaos? As people are reaping the curse for breaking God's law? How is anybody going to live through this? And God speaks in Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Habakkuk is taking his stand in verse 1 at the watch post. He's waiting to hear from the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Basically, he wants the word of God to be disseminated widely and broadly so that if somebody is running by fast, they can even see it then. God is speaking and he wants people to hear. Verse 3, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And in those words, God is promising that he is going to bring about the fulfillment of all of his plans. And even if it looks like it's not going to work out somehow, God is still going to bring it to pass. And so God goes back to his word and the authority, clarity, power, of his word and the surety of it. Verse 4, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He's speaking about the Chaldeans and their pride as they go and devour nations. But here's how you are to live in the midst of chaos. Here's Habakkuk's answer for how he is going to live his life as all things are crumbling around him, as he sees the curse of God coming on this nation, how shall he live? But the righteous shall live by his faith. What are you to do in the face of God's curse? You are to live by faith. You are to live by faith in God's word. To see this, in a sense, lived out, look at the end of Habakkuk. The end of verse 16, Habakkuk is praying. At the very end of verse 16, he says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, 
nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. How does Habakkuk live in the midst of curse all around him? He lives by faith in the God who saves. Back to Galatians. Paul quotes from Habakkuk to help us understand that the way people who are counted as righteous before God live is by faith in the God who saves. Those who relied on works of the law were going to face the curses of God, but those who relied on the God who saves and puts their feet on sure ground are the ones who are counted as righteous before God. And so Paul says, again in verse 11 of Galatians 3, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Why? For the righteous shall live by faith. We live by trust in God. And in verse 12, he says, the law, but the law is not of faith. They're mutually exclusive. They don't run together. It's either grace or it's wages. It's either merit or mercy. You trust in the achievement of your works or the word of God. It's either your credit or Christ's cross. It's either you or it's God. And in the end, either you're cursed or you're blessed. One theologian says, conformity to the law is not a matter of trust, of belief. It is a matter of achievement. The law is concerned with doing things. It prescribes conduct. But faith is not concerned with doing things. It means trusting someone. Faith is relying on someone else. And as you understand your horrible plight of being one who has broken God's law and rightly deserve his wrath, you need to look away from yourself and trust someone who can do something for you. So do you live by faith Or do you live by law-keeping? Do you live by trusting someone else, or do you live by your own merit, your own goodness? We all have tried the path of law-keeping, and we've all failed. How do you get out from under the curse of the law? How do you get out from under it? You don't need a sacrament or a prayer. You don't need a bull or a goat. You don't need a list of rules. You don't need a set of clothes, particular jewelry, or a special diet. When you are cursed, there is a lot you don't need. And trying harder doesn't get you uncursed. If you are cursed, you need that curse lifted from you. And when it is God who has cursed you, how are you going to lift that 
steely curse from over your head. You don't have the strength to put it off from you. There is a ledger hanging over your head that condemns you as guilty, and it is written in stone. How are you going to get rid of that? I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. You have no works to plead. You are cursed. But there is another who stands ready to plead your case. And this one has nail prints in his hands and a wound in his side. And the one who has these marks about him came out of love to redeem you from the curse under which you stand. You need to be redeemed from the curse of the law. You can't just sweep it under the rug. You can't just say, well, it's not really there and pretend like everything's okay. If you've broken God's law, a curse stands against you. And that curse is basically condemnation. How will you get out from under that curse? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That word redeemed should evoke in us the imagery of slavery, somebody who is in bond and chains and needs a pledge made on their behalf to free them from that slavery. You were a person in the bondage of sin and of condemnation. You were a dead man walking straight for the fires of hell because you failed to keep God's law. And you did not attain to life, but you attained to death. Now you experience, if you're apart from Christ, separation from God, and not considered to belong to him. And in the time when death comes to reap your life and you're called to account, you have a price to pay. Because you have willfully, continually, habitually, and proudly transgressed the law of the Almighty God. But it says, Christ redeemed us. He bought us from the curse of the law. Jesus didn't just come and speak freedom. The one who spoke the world into existence didn't just speak something to happen. In this case, he did something. There was a price to be paid, a debt to be paid. There was a payment. I know this is familiar to many of us, but this is our faith. This is our life. The cross of Jesus Christ is the wages that was paid for your sin. And we linger here and we come back to it often because our whole life is sustained by the truth that Christ became a curse for us. There's a, a painting that I saw 
in California in 2003. And when I saw it, not that I'm some frequent visitor to art galleries, but on this occasion, I'd been to a few. And as I saw this painting, I was immediately captivated by it and considered it to be the most beautiful painting I've ever seen and would be surprised if I could ever find a painting that was more beautiful than this one. It's fairly simple. It had a water wheel, some water, a landscape, some trees. It caught my eye, and I've only seen it that one time. I don't even know the title of it or the artist. I've thought about it often, kind of spun it around in my mind's eye, try to picture what it was like. And if that was the only piece of art in that gallery, I would have been content. I only saw it that one time, and I can barely describe it to you. I feel a bit like that with the cross. Not that I've only seen it once, but as I turn it around in my mind, I just feel a beggar for words to describe the significance of what Christ did on Calvary. How does one take up words that can accurately portray what the Son of God did at the cross. I would paint as good of a picture of it as I could for you, but I feel like I've seen too little of it, gazed at it not long enough to accurately portray it, but this I say to you, behold the man on the cross. Scripture calls us to look at Christ. And as we look at him on the cross, we should be jolted by what we see. It's not the halos of Renaissance paintings crowning our Lord. It's not a glimpse of hopeful light poking through the clouds. It's not a beautiful landscape. There's no water wheel in this painting. There's no serenity of green grasses and beautiful trees. It's not the smile and laughter of children in a Norman Rockwell painting. You'll not find the glowing light of Thomas Kincaid at the cross. You'll not hear the soundtrack of the Hallelujah Chorus there. You don't hear Bach or Beethoven or Mozart. But as you look at the scene of the Son of Man lifted up, You see someone lifted from the earth, pinned to a cross of wood by nails. You would smell the stench of death and hear the dripping of blood. You'd hear the mocking voices. And for three hours, you wouldn't see anything because darkness covered the land. Perhaps if you listened closely, you could hear the wheezing of a man desperate to catch a breath and the groaning of agony, the silence and the darkness would penetrate your heart. And then piercing the darkness, you would hear the scream of a man who has been damned. You would hear a man call out, The cry of dereliction. 
as his heart aches, and he calls out to heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the cry of a man who has been damned. There are many titles that you could put on the painting of the cross of Christ. But the title that Paul gives to the cross of Christ in Galatians 3.13 is one word, cursed. You want to see what the curse of God looks like. You look no further than the man Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. The provision of the Old Testament was that if a man had committed a crime punishable by death, his body would be hung on a tree. This was the law's provision to make plain to everyone around that man had been cursed of God for breaking his law. As one old writer puts it, This is the highest degree of reproach that can attach to a man and proclaims him under the curse of God as much as any external punishment can. They that see him thus hanging between heaven and earth will conclude him abandoned of both and unworthy of either. Christ hung suspended between heaven and earth, forsaken of man, and of God, and in a word, cursed. The problem with it, the problem with the cross, is that Jesus of Nazareth never broke the law. Not one jot, not one tittle, He was perfect, righteous in all ways, without sin. And yet there he hangs on that cross, a man cursed of God. And the reason being to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Dear friends, if your love for Christ has waned, if you feel a lack of affection for Jesus Christ, if your heart has been dull towards him of late, or if you've never known of his love, if you haven't tasted of his goodness, if you haven't been soaked in the love of Christ. Then let me point you to two words in this text that should occupy your mind and your heart this week. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse, and here are the two words, for us. Meditate on that. Christ crucified Christ cursed for us. We rightly deserve that cross. 
we rightly deserve to call out the cry of dereliction and the scream of the damned. Christ bore that curse for us. How are you blessed? Not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, who redeems you from the curse of the law. Believe him. Trust him. Put your whole heart's hope on Jesus Christ today and for always. Let's pray. Father, you have pointed our attention to Jesus Christ again. Your word brings us back to him all the time. We see him there on the cross as revealed to us in the scriptures, a man cursed. Thank you, Father, that your word has rightly taught us that he was cursed not for his own sins, but for our sins. Father, I pray that you would remind us, if we already know it, the cost of our sin. And as we look to Christ, our faith would be renewed. We put our hope in him. Father, for the hearts that are beginning to see that Jesus Christ is the only way, give them full faith in him and abandon all hope of themselves and trust that you have loved us and given us your son to be the propitiation for our sins. We thank you that you've done for us what we could never have done. And we praise you that you are the God who saves. And we want to look to you in faith for the rest of our lives. We plead this and we plead this alone. Christ's cross before you, Father. And we know that you've accepted him and by that you accept us. And we rejoice in this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.